So tonight, and so tonight, we're going to start off uh, our uh, lesson tonight with invisible opponents. Invisible, invisible opponents. <clears throat> Let me start off by saying that perseverance is part of the human spirit. The uh, fact of the matter is, there is not a hero in history that escaped a measure of failure before success. And a lot of times people uh, are scared of failing. Okay, We say we can do all things and that all things are possible and whatever we think we can accomplish. But a lot of times people, it's, 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 it's failing is what's get people. But 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 uh, there's not a hero in history uh, that has escaped a measure of failure before success. Fact of the matter, I think you all would agree with me that you cannot drive in neutral. I don't think anybody in here can drive their car in neutral. You either going to put it in drive or you're going to put it in reverse. But neutral will take you absolutely nowhere. Get out of neutral. <laughs> Get out of neutral. In fact, what neutral will do for you, just make your car make a lot of noise and no movement. It's just, just don't go through life in neutral. Just making a lot of noise and, and not going nowhere. You must think. You have to think. Okay. You must think. Um. Look at the slide there. The first bullet point, simply this. Thinking is pondering facts that lead toward a belief and subsequent action. That's what thinking is. It's pondering facts. Okay? Pondering facts. Not only that, but thinking is good because it keeps you free from the negative powers of impulse, emotion, instinct, and carnal appetite. That one's good. It keeps you free from the negative powers of impulse, emotion, instinct, and, 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 and carnal appetite. There was this... Uh, uh, English um, professor, and I like to do, I think I heard uh, Dr. Howe say on Sunday while she was teaching, like she's like, like to read these old books from philosophers. And I, I was reading, I do quite a bit of reading. And there was this English philosopher by the name of John Locke. And uh, he taught that uh, thoughts govern the mind of man. Thoughts govern the mind of of man. Let's look at a few things that he said. Let's look at a few things uh, that he says. One of the things he says is simply this. He says, the ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. And uh, to these, they all universally pay a ready submission. He says, it is therefore of the highest concernment that great care should be taken of the understanding to conduct it aright in the search of knowledge and in the judgments uh, 
it makes. And that's very, that's very profound, actually. I'm going to leave that up for just a few seconds. Don't try to write it out, but just kind of glance, glance at it, because he says, it is therefore of the highest concernment that great care should be taken of, of the understanding to conduct it aright in search of knowledge and in the judgment it makes. Okay. And then uh, he also, he also stated, he also stated that how people find themselves in error. This is how people find themselves in error. Okay. Number one, he said the first are with those that seldom reason at all, but only do what others tell them to do. <laughs> in other words, some folks, they, they don't, they, they don't reason at all. They, they just, whatever a person tells them, that's what they do. Now, I understand when we were, you know, when, when, when we were little kids, you know, of course we had to go by, we had to go by what our parents told us as children, parents, parents think for their kids because as kids, you know, sometimes our thought process was, was, was sometimes crazy. <laughs> and even like babies, parents think for babies. But Paul mentions something. Paul says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I did what? I put away childish things. So one of the things that Paul was saying in essence was, <laughs> you know, uh, when I was when I was younger, somebody had to think for me. Now that I'm old, I have to think for myself. And so and so this philosopher says that the first are with those that seldom reason at all, but only do what others tell them to do. And then next, n- the next are those that put a passionate desire above reason or the sound advice of others. So in other words, passionate desire above reason. How many of y'all know when, when, when you have a strong desire for something, sometimes it don't cause you to think. Y'all don't hear somebody. You know good and well, you don't need that ice cream at 12 midnight, but you have a desire for that ice cream. You know what it's going to do to you. You know you're not going to be able to go to sleep. It's going to give you indigestion. It's going to tear your stomach up. But you know, but you just have a strong desire for it. And so, therefore, sometimes when you have a strong desire for something, it'll cause you not to reason. Okay? It'll cause you not to reason. Um, I never will forget, we, we, we had guests here at the house one time, and this particular person, no good and well, they could not have shrimp. They just couldn't have shrimp because shrimp uh, messed, messed with their gout. They would get gout real bad. And one day I was cooking shrimp, uh, 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 and, and I told this person, I said, now you can't have no shrimp because I already know uh, it's bad for you. And she said, can I just have just one? Can I just have one little piece? I said, you know you're not supposed to have it. Said, oh, but I just have to have one piece. That's called desire. See, sometimes we think we have to have something, okay, until it, it messes up our reasoning, and so finally I said, okay, I'm not at fault for anything that happens. So I gave her the shrimp and probably five minutes later, her ankle swelled all the way up to we had to roll her around the rest of the day in a regular chair, in a, in a chair that had wheels on it. Simply what had happened was her desire, okay? She had more desire above reasoning, okay? And a lot of times people, that's what happened. Passionate desire above reason, or the sound advice of others. And then he says, thirdly, he said, the third are those that use reason 
but have bad information. What good is reason if your information is bad? <laughs> okay. Bad information, you just go off running and 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 and, and it's or thinking that this is the way something is supposed to be done, but it's bad information. Okay, and, and, and so and so and so all of this, all of this means that what you think leads to actions. Let me say it this way: what you think. Leads it controls it it dominates your actions, okay. Whatever you think, and so there was a there was a there was a fella there was a fella by the name of Derek uh, Price. In fact, I have a book, and uh, he's the writer of this book. And, and and the name of the book is the Spirit Field Believers Handbook. That's the name of it, the Spirit Field Believers Handbook. And so what he teaches is, is, is simply this. And you're going to see the connection in a minute. He, uh, he teaches that the baptism in the spirit does not merely lead into a realm of new spiritual blessing. It leads also into a realm of new spiritual conflict. I want you to get this, Okay. And 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 when I read that, I, I I had to ask myself, could this be what is happening? Okay, because as a logical consequence, increased power from God will always bring with it increased opposition from Satan. Okay, the Christian who makes sensible script use of the power received through the baptism in the Spirit will be able to meet and overcome, be filled with the Spirit, okay? And the reason you have to be filled with the Spirit is simply because the more, watch this, the more I'm filled with the Spirit, of course, there, the spiritual blessings come along with that, but also the more I'm filled with the Spirit is also spiritual conflict, okay? And so he says, he says, on the other hand, the Christian who receives the baptism in the spirit but neglects the other aspects of Christian duty will find himself in an exceedingly dangerous position. He will discover that the baptism in the spirit has opened up his spiritual nature okay, to entirely new forms of satanic attack or oppression but he will be without the God-appointed means to discern the true nature of Satan's attack or to defend himself against it. And, and, and so could this be could this be a reason? Could this be a reason for increased awareness of spiritual conflict within your mind? I mean, y'all know we have a spiritual conflict within our minds. Notice, notice what he says. Notice what he says. And I want you all to get this tonight. I want you to get it. Notice what he says. He says, quite often, such a Christian will find his mind invaded by strange moods of doubt or fear or depression, or he will be exposed to moral or spiritual temptation, which he never experienced before receiving the baptism in the spirit. Now, when I read that, I was like, oh, my goodness, wait a minute. We're going to be exposed 
to these particular things. But here's what I thought about. There was no battle when you was out there in the world. There was no battle in your flesh. <laughs> Come on, think about it. Whatever you did, you just did. <laughs> your conscience didn't bother you. You, what you knew about God really wasn't no concern of yours because you, you know, you, you didn't consider yourself saved. So, so, so you, you could very easily go to bed at night after you got through partying all night long. Okay. But the war did not start. Okay. Until you receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior. That's the reason why Paul talks about that there's a war in my members. There was no war before you got saved. Okay? And, and so he's saying, so let's go back to what he said. Quite often such a Christian will find his mind invaded by strange moves of doubt or fear or depression, or he will be exposed to more spiritual temptation. Don't, don't forget, spiritual temptation, which he never experienced before receiving the baptism in the spirit. All right? You didn't have to worry about it then because, it, once again, it was of no concern. You, you didn't have to worry about not forgiving your brother or your sister. You just didn't forgive them. But then once you got saved and you understood that God would not forgive you of your sins until you forgive other people, then now all of a sudden it became it became a war. Because some people, come on, don't get deep on me. Some people are hard to forgive. fact of the matter is none of us on our own could forgive anybody. Think about it. It's the Christ that's within us. Okay, and so then he also says, so then he also says, he said, unless he is forewarned or forearmed to meet these new forms of satanic attack, he may easily succumb to the wiles and onslaughts of the enemy and fall back to a lower level than he was on before he entered this new realm of conflict. I'm going to call it a new realm of conflict. Okay, because remember I said, once you receive the power of God, the Holy Ghost, okay, not only did you receive spiritual blessings, but you also received spiritual conflict, a new realm. Okay, and and, and where does it all start from? Right here in the mind, how you think, your imagination, what you picture. Now, come on, you, you all know we, we've been going through all of this. And, and, and so, and so, and so I trust that we are putting into action what we have been taught, okay, and can declare victory. You know, our ultimate goal is, is, is really to declare victory, okay? And, and, and listen, you can win the battles against your mind and experience the abundant life that Christ has called you to. This is what this is all about, winning the battle against our minds, Okay. Four or five people in our head talking to us at the same time. No, we're going to win those battles. Okay? You can have God thoughts that govern your life regularly. Okay? Then Apostle Paul taught that you could win the war against the mind with powerful spiritual weapons. And that takes us back to our home-based text, 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, the 10th chapter, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, let's not forget this, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so by now, by now, we all have learned much about how we must renew our mind, how we must be transformed, okay, by the renewing of our minds. Let's, let's, let's take a moment and let's deal with a short list of other powerful weapons. We as believers, we have some powerful weapons, okay? Since we know, you know, we like to talk about the spiritual blessings, but now that we know that what comes along with those blessings also we have to deal with spiritual conflict. That means we need we need some powerful weapons. Our flesh can't do it. We cannot fight this thing in the flesh. Some of us are so tired right now till we couldn't even fight a, 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 a flea too much. Okay? Okay, there's heat and, and everybody's exhausted and you're tired of working at home and you're just this, that, and the other. Okay, we need we we this flesh we can't do it in the flesh. So let let's let let's deal let's deal with some powerful weapons here tonight. Okay, let's deal with some uh, uh, powerful weapons. What I want to talk about first. What I want to talk about first is simply let's talk about dividing asunder. Dividing asunder. And this is going to be very important. Because as we continue to conquer vain thoughts and imaginations, we understand that obedience to the word of God is a given. We understand that's a given. We know that it is the power of the word of God, believed, spoken, and acted on that demonishes every demonic stronghold that crusades against our minds. I want you all to write this down. Power of the word. Write it down. Power of the word. Write the word believed. Spoken. And acted on. It takes those four ingredients. It takes those four. And when we have those four ingredients, we can demolish, demolish every demonic stronghold that comes against our minds. The word of God, watch this, the word of God means absolutely nothing if you don't believe it. You can read it from Genesis to Revelation. It don't matter. You just knowing it don't mean nothing. So we need the word. All right. We need the word. But but not only do we need the word, we have to believe the word. That's, that, that's step number two. Step number three, you got to speak the word. But how many of y'all know you ain't going to speak nothing you don't believe? <laughs> You're not. There's an order. 
If you believe the word, you're not going to speak it. Now, you know why a lot of folk, I'm going to say, you know why a lot of you, I'm going to go ahead and say it, don't speak the word like you want to. Number one, some of y'all don't read it enough. You don't know what's in there. That's number one. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just trying to help us get rid of these, be able to defeat the enemy. You got to read the word in order to believe the word. Yeah. Okay. Then you have to speak the word. Let me tell you, when you speak the word, there's no arguing after that. This is what the word saying. You can walk away. <laughs> let, let the person who want to argue, argue with the word of God. Okay. So, so you'll have to believe it. You got to speak it. And then you have to act upon it. Don't just speak it. Act upon it. Okay. And then when we do those four things, then we can demolish every demonic spirit that comes up against us. Write down Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse number 12. I want y'all to, I, 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 I want y'all to really start digging into the word of God. Look what it says. The King James says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What's this? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, what you what you see on the screen is a sword, nice sharp sword. And from a different translation, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let's deal with this for a minute, because this is very important. I just told you, this is one of our tools. This is what we need. And, and, and this happened to be one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because its truth unlocks the mystery of Holy Writ teaching that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Don't miss it. Your heart. <laughs> it, it examines every imagination for truth, motive, and reality. The word does that. And unlike any other book in history, it teaches you what to think, when to think, and how to think. Did you all know that the Bible, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Did you all know that the Bible will, will, will teach you what to think, how to think, when to think? All that is right here in this powerful book. Notice, notice what it says. Notice what it says. Because I want you all to understand it. It said the word of God is what? Quick. Now, see, some of y'all thought that word quick meant, I already know what you thought it meant. You thought it meant like fast. <laughs> the word of God is quick. I mean, it, it happens real quick. No, let me help you. That word quick in this text translates, it means living. <laughs> the word of God is alive. It's living. How many of y'all know the Bible is a living book? It, it, there's nothing old. It might have been written way back when, 
but it's a it's a it's a living book. It is not dead. It's not antiquated. It's not an out out of date book. It's not impractical. No book is so alive as the Bible. <laughs> no book is so relevant and practical as the Bible. Uh, 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 Brother Chris, Mrs. Trees have been cleaning out the garage. And we had all kind of books in there, souvenir books. And, 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 oh, God, we had books all the way back, 19-something. They're kind of embarrassing to, to even say. Pastor had a head full of hair, but jet black and slender and young looking and, and all that stuff like that. Those, some of those books became irrelevant. <laughs> some of the churches that was advertising in the book don't even exist no more, Okay. So that, that means that book is irrelevant because the, the, some of those people ain't even here no more. And so that's not the word of God. It's quick. That word quick means it's alive. Then when you see that word powerful, the word translated powerful means in our English word, it means energy. That's how we get our English word. It means energy. In other words, watch this. The word of God energizes those who study and live the word. Uh-oh. So if you want some energy, quit walking around and tell me, oh, I'm so tired, Lord. I ain't got no energy. I'm going to tell you, next time I hear you say you ain't got no energy, I'm going to tell you, you ain't been reading the word. Okay? I can, only, I, 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 I can only go. Because it's a lie. God's word will make you a lie. Even when you read it. Even when you read it, if you believe it, when you speak it, you can't just mumble the word. I'm getting ready to jump over this desk right now. Okay, You just can't mumble the word and just be dry with the word of God. It's a lie. It energizes you. Come on here. My goodness, Teresa, I tell you, I was taking a brief nap. I was like, oh, Lord, do we have to have Bible study? I said, I got to confess. I said, how the fuck ain't going to come on anyway because they're going to be looking at the NBA playoffs. And you guys surprised me because... You love the word rather than NBA. And I know none of y'all are being distracted right now because you love the word. <laughs> but I'm starting to feel good, Sister Pat, talking about the word. Are y'all following me talking about the word? The word energizes you. And so the word of God energizes those who study and live the word. It gives energy for service and for holy living. It is a powerful book in that it can change lives dramatically. But the word must be received and believed if it is to do anything for a person. All right. It's fuel. Fuel that could empower your automobile will do you no good if it is not put into the fuel tank. Don't do no good. Okay, to have fuel in your backyard and be bragging how many gallons of fuel fuel you have in your backyard, and yet you run out of gas going to the store. Okay, you must put it in the tank. Okay, you got to put God's word into the tank. Look what else it says. I I, I, I want y'all to get this: sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. In other words. In other words, that just simply means that the word of God has no difficulty penetrating our innermost being. This is what makes the word of God so valuable. 
It deals with more than the surface. It goes to the soul. Hallelujah. And then look at that. Look what it says. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In other words, the, the penetrating of the word goes so deep that it discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And so this, this, this helps purify a person. I mean, y'all don't know the word will, will purify you. The word will clean you up. Hallelujah. I better move on. I can talk about the word all night long, but it's one of our main weapons. The word is like a hammer, according to scripture. It'll break up everything not like God. Come on here. It says the word is like fire in the Bible. What does fire do? It burns. It'll burn up everything that's not like God. Also, fire is, is good and it's bad because fire will warm you. How many of y'all know the word of God will warm your heart? It'll cause you to say, then our hearts burn within as we spake or as we read the word of God. That's what the word of God, it will purify a person. And so the word, it convicts. How many of y'all know the word will convict you too? Oh, come on here. Anybody been convicted by the word lately? I mean, it will convict you. The word of God will convict you to the point. Sometimes you'll be reading it. And you have to put it down. Say, oh, I ain't ready for this right now. Come on. Come on. Come on here. I'm telling you all. Sometimes, you know, I got to prepare all the time for Bible study and prepare for preaching on Sunday and prepare for preaching at engagements and doing seminars and, all, you know, all that good stuff. Sometimes I'll be reading the word. I'll be like, uh-uh, I ain't talking about this. Y'all ain't got to talk back here to me. I'd be like, I ain't talking to Pat. I say, uh-uh, I ain't preaching on this today. No, that's me. Uh-uh, they ain't, ain't going to have all these folks get me today. But that's what the word of God will do to you. And can I tell you something? The word of God always comes to the preacher and the teacher first. <laughs> all right. And so he convicts. How many of y'all know the word will expose? Uh-oh, somebody say, I ain't going to never read it now. Uh-oh. The word of God will expose. It exposes. But here's the thing, when it convicts and it exposes, then it purifies the one who studies it. And then that should be the ultimate goal, is to be purified. In other words, clean from the inside out. You don't want to be stinky spiritually. You want to be clean. You want to smell fresh spiritually. You don't want to stink. You don't want your praise to stink. You know, the Bible speaks of that. Your praise can stink in the nostrils of God. What does that mean? That means when you don't have clean hands and a pure heart and you're before God trying to give him praise, God plugs his nose up. So your praise stink. Your testimony stink when you're really not grateful. Still complaining after he done healed you and then try to get him testify that he healed you, but yet you still complaining. That stinks. Come on. And so, so, so it convicts, it exposes. Let me move on. I, my God, I'm not going to finish. And then it purifies the one who, who studies the word. All right. What did the, what, what, what did the Psalmist David say? Uh, in Psalms 119 and verse 11, look what he says. Thy word have I hid in my heart. 
that I might not sin against thee, and that thee is God. I hide God's word in my heart that I don't sin against God. Come on here. I want to deal with that verse. See, some of y'all, some of y'all read that verse and it sounds good. But let's dig into that. Okay, because I want to talk about, uh, thank you, Jesus, the depositing of the word. This is what verse 11 is, 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 is talking about. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is not a deposit in the bank. Okay, but one that is better than any deposit in the bank. Now, let me ask y'all a question. And those that I can see, I can't see everybody, but those that I can see, uh, how many of you all, uh, and be honest, like to make deposits in the bank? I know I do. Okay. Now, I didn't ask you. See, some of y'all, I felt some of you all spirit. I really did. Don't do no good because as soon as I put it in, it's already gone. I didn't ask you that. Thank God you're able to put it in. Okay? Thank God they're able to take it out. What if you didn't have what needed to be taken out? Are y'all watch it now? Watch it. And so, so, so look what it says. The possession for deposit. You know what the possession is? Thy word, <laughs> thy word, that's the possession for deposit. It's the most valuable possession is the word of God. So we have to take good care of it. Look at the place of deposit. Not at Union Bank, not at Bank of America, but in my heart. <laughs> That's the place of, of this deposit. This is the best place to deposit the word. Okay, it is where it will do the most good. <clears throat> we like to put our money in places where it will do the most good. Put the word in your heart. It is a place where it will do you the most good. Look at the purpose of deposit. Here's the purpose. This is why we're doing it. That I might not <laughs> sin against thee. I'm not just depositing the word just to be depositing the word. Come on. I'm not just reading the word just to be reading the word. <clears throat> From this night forward, when you read the word, think of it as you making a deposit. And why am I making this deposit? So that I might not sin against thee. What a noble purpose. <laughs> what a noble purpose of making the deposit so we don't sin against God. And so, and so, God's word, God's word, it diagnoses the condition of man with a surgeon's precision. Okay, it lays open our heart and discerns our spiritual health. And so when the word of God exposes our weakness and unbelief like this, it demonstrates its inherent power, sharpness and accuracy. Don't get mad 
when the word exposes you. Don't get upset when the word exposes you. Because all it's doing is it's demonstrating its power. The power that's in the word, the sharp of the word, the accuracy of the word. And so it bears constant reminding that as we submit ourselves to the word of God, we do it for far more than intellectual knowledge or to learn Bible facts. See, some people read the word of God so they can be smart. Okay, And that's okay to understand the word. And if you have to teach it, study to show yourself approved. So when you teach other people, you know, you could give them understanding and enlightenment. But don't just study the word of God, just see how much you can know. Study the word of God so that he can purify you. Oh, come on here, somebody. Somebody said, I, I sure wish I really knew more of the word. Basically, what you should be saying, I sure wish the Lord would clean me up more. <laughs> Y'all ain't ready for this tonight. That's what you should be saying. I sure wish the Lord would clean me up, purify me more. Okay? Because that's that, 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 that's what the word does. It's not just learning Bible facts. Okay? Biblical history and all of that. What good is bi- biblical history knowing it from front to back and you're still not clean on the inside? It means nothing. Okay? So let the word, whatever you're struggling with, Whatever our struggles are, let's let's dig into the word to find out how we can help ourselves with our struggles. That's the purpose of the word of God. And so when an imagination, let's go back to that, when an imagination enters your mind, okay, for example, you can use the word of God to rightly divide and examine it for truth and use. <clears throat> I'm going to say that again. See, we've been reading that scripture, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, teaching a good Sunday school lesson. It means more than that. All right. I'm going to say it again. When an imagination enters your mind, you can use the word of God to rightly divide and examine it, that imagination, for truth and use. You got to examine, we got to examine our thoughts. Don't just think them, we got to examine our thoughts. And, and, And so this makes it easy for us. All you must do is simply, watch this, let the word of God judge the thoughts for you. Let his word judge your thoughts. And then rightly divide them and give you the truth needed to make right decisions with your life. Bad decisions come from, uh uh-oh, not rightly dividing the thought. That's all that is. <clears throat> and so wait, good thoughts, rightly divide them, use them. Bad thoughts, rightly divide them, get rid of them. <laughs> Align the thought with the word of God. It's that simple.
simple. There's nothing complicated. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a licensed missionary in the Church of God in Christ. You don't need no ordination license to do this. And the good part, you don't have to pay no report. Jesus already paid your report to rightly divide your thoughts, your imagination by aligning it up with the word of God. Somebody said it's easier said than done, Pastor. We're going to get there because it is. It is easier said than done. Really? Okay. Now, so imagination is a powerful tool that unlocks innovation and creates many wonderful things. I don't want y'all to stop thinking tonight. Somebody say, well, this is too much for me. I'm going to just stop thinking. No, don't stop thinking. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to stop thinking. Your imagination is a powerful tool that unlocks innovation. Let's be innovative. Let's be creative. Stop fearing. But line it with the word so you can rightly divide that thought, that process. Okay, we have already discussed, watch this. That man's destiny is controlled by thoughts, imagination, experience, reasoning, intellect, and God's word. The choice is always yours. It's always yours. It's always yours to decide what you draw on to make decisions. Okay, the choice is yours. Somebody tonight, you're facing a great decision that you have to make. The choice is make, the, the choice is yours as to what you draw on to make that decision. You can call all of your friends that don't know nothing about what you're talking about and gather all your information from them and come up with a conclusion and an answer. Okay, you can read a book or you, you could Google it. Okay, because 98% of the people did this with the same decision that you have to make. Or we could take it to the word of God and we can seek God. And we can ask God, God, what do you want me to do and how you want me to do it? All right. And so someone asked the question. They said, how do we know? Watch this. How do we know if an imagination has been taken captive? How do we know? I'm going to give you the answer because I don't want y'all guessing at it. How do we know? Because we were saying take it into captivity. In other words, we're saying get control of it, right? Well, how, how, how do I know when I have an imagination under captivity? Rather than take me captive, how do I know, okay, if an imagination has been taken captive? Well, the answer is clear and it's simple. Watch this. A captive imagination has no freedom to express itself. I'm going to let you think about that. I'm going to let you write that down. An active, I'm I'm sorry, a captive imagination has no freedom to express itself. In other words, it's dead. It's dead. It's dead. Uh Uh-oh. And if it keeps coming up over and over again, 
then you have not yet won the war against it. Oh, if it keeps coming up, you have not won that war. Don't put the giant to sleep because the giant can wake up 10 years later. <laughs> Lord, I thought I was delivered from him. No, you wasn't. You didn't take him captive. I thought I was delivered from her. Somebody said, oh, I'm ready to teach now. And almost time for me to stop. I thought I was delivered from that person. I thought I had control over the situation. No, you didn't. Because it popped back up 10, 15 years later. The devil is there. How you know? How do we know? When an imagination has been taken captive. Okay? Simply because it don't no longer have freedom to express itself. It's dead. All right. No, no, I don't mean to discourage nobody. Don't give up. Don't give up. Say, oh my God, I mean, I thought I had it just about it under control. I'm done. Click. No, don't, don't get off yet. Don't get off. Don't get off. Not yet. Because some battles take longer and are more profitable than others and require more fortitude. Really, some battles require some. Y'all, some of them strongholds is strong. Some of it takes more determination, more resilience. It takes more grit. It takes more courage. So don't give up yet. Don't give up yet. Don't, not, not yet. Not tonight. Amen. But the only way that you're going to defeat it is you cannot be lazy in the word of God. Hallelujah. This word got to be your favorite book. It has to be what you enjoy the most. It has to be what you spend a lot of time with those same old imaginations come up again and again and again and again. Somebody shout hallelujah, even though I can't hear you. Shout it anyway. Come on, let's deal with this. <laughs> My God, this is good meat for the soul. Let's deal with unyielding determination. Uh-oh. Unyielding means stubborn, uncompromising, being steadfast, determination. That, that's what that means. I'm so stubborn, I'm not going to yield to the enemy, to the devil. No compromise. Come on, sometimes you got to wake up in the morning and say, devil, today there is no compromise. Not today. No compromise. Because perseverance Perseverance is part of the human spirit, and it is, all right? Perseverance, I already told you. There's not a hero in history that escaped a measure of failure before success. They had to stick with it. They had to go through the humiliation. Come on. Write down Daniel's 11 and 32. Just write it down. Because it's, it, it, the word declares of those that know their God, it says they will do strong, they will be strong and do exploits. When you know God, do, now the question is, do you really know him? Because God's word don't lie. In other words, they're going to they're gonna be strong and they're going to do, <laughs> they're going to do some things that, that other people would say is impossible. Heroic acts. 
Daniel's 11.32. And so perseverance is a godly trait. It, it, it's a godly trait. There's a fellow by the name of Dr. Orison Martin. And he was a, he was, he, he, he was a motivational speaker. He was a motivational speaker. Something he said that I think will bless your heart tonight. Listen, look at what he says. He says, most men fail not through lack of education or agreeable personal qualities, but from lack of dog determination, <laughs> from lack of fearless will. Look at that. Most people fail, not because of your, not because you don't know. It ain't because you don't have a degree. You don't, I mean, you don't know. A degree ain't for everybody. A degree is not for everybody. Come on. <clears throat> you read in the book of Acts. Let me put some scripture on that. Get into the word of God. God will educate you. Y'all don't believe that. Back in the day, the old folk, they didn't have education, but they had power. They knew the word of God. Some of them could not even read. Somebody said, well, how can he preach if he can't read? <laughs> Some of them couldn't even read, but yet they were powerful in their preaching. Souls were delivered, set free. Come on here. Uh, 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 um, crutches would hang on the walls. I've seen churches where they had wheelchairs hanging on the walls because the power of God was strong. We have PhDs and LMNODs and PQRSs behind our name, and we have no power. The saints are worse. The saints are compromising more than never before because everybody preaching and teaching know how to break the word of God down with, you know, applying this to your life and this, that. They don't know. Stop. Stop. I want the power. They come to make you feel good. So he says most men fail not through the lack of education or agreeable personal qualities, but from the lack of dog determination. Don't give up. You got to have dog determination. You got to be persistent, in other words. You can't give up. Fellas, in the book of Acts, as I was about to say, give, turning the world upside down. They took them before the Sanhedrin council. I said, what are we going to do with them? Let's lock them up. Let's kill them. Let's get rid of them. They said, no, 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 no. Don't touch them. Don't touch them. You know what they said sitting there at the Sanhedrin court? He said, these men are unlearned and ignorant. Leave them alone. They don't know. They wouldn't know nothing about Mars Hills if you showed them where Mars Hills was. Leave them alone. They're ignorant. They're unlearned. Here's where they made their mistake. They say, if it be not of God, it'll come to naught. In other words, they'll fall apart anyway. But then look what happened when they met again. Ah. They had to come, come to conclusion. They said, these men is unlearned and they're ignorant. But one thing we notice, they've been with the Lord. 
You might be broke, but say she broke, but she sure been with the Lord. She can't hardly spell her name, but she sure been with the Lord. Okay? They've been with the Lord. So you have to have determination. Dog the determination. All right? Dog determination that I'm going to hold on. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna make it. Okay, he says from lack of fearless will, you gotta have willpower. You gotta have willpower. Okay, if any man be in Christ, he is what a new creature. If any man be in Christ, don't miss that in Christ. When you are in Christ and Christ is inside of you, watch this. When you are in Christ, you take on the same characteristics of Christ. You guys hear me teach that all the time. When you get into an airplane, you take on the characteristics of that airplane. So when you tell people, I, Gary Watkins, flew 35,000 feet up in the air, I did. I ain't lying, I did. And the reason I did was why? I took on the characteristic of that plane. So if that plane lands in the ocean, guess what? I've taken on the characteristics of that plane and guess where I'm going to be? I ain't going to still be in the sky and say, look at me, look at me. Because I took on the characteristics of that plane, I'm going to be in the ocean. So when you get in Christ and Christ getting you, we take on the characteristics of Christ. So we can have strong will and a determination. We can say, God, not my will. You let your will be done because greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Let me close so that some of y'all can catch some of the game. Thank you for coming on tonight, by the way. I'll let you see. You weren't worrying about but the fourth quarter anyway. I'm going to help you all tonight. Write this scripture down. Joel, the third chapter, verse 10, and then we're done. <sighs> Dr. Lewis got on that Laker stuff. I see you. <laughs> all right. Joel, the third chapter, verse number 10. <clears throat> Amen. The part I want you all to see, he says, let the weak say, I am strong. Y'all read the rest of it, but that's the just that I want y'all to see. Okay. You know what this scripture is doing? This scripture gives us the remedy for fatigue. It gives us, right here in the word, it gives us the remedy for our tiredness. It gives us the remedy when we feel like giving up. He says, let the weak say, I am strong. Stop talking about how tired you are. Stop talking about how weak you are and declare, I am strong. You may be barely able to put one foot in front of the other, but don't tell nobody that. You tell them that I'm strong. That's the book. And here's the reason why you're doing it, because there is something in verbalizing what Christ said that we can do. Something comes along when we verbalize what Christ say we can do. It may not be manifested at the time that we say it. And so scripture give us permission to do that. 
We're not lying. <laughs> okay? Scripture gives us permission to do it. Speak those things that are not as though they were. All right? Let the weak say I'm strong because there's something in verbalizing what Christ says that you can do. And through Christ, we can make it. Through Christ, we can succeed. Well, I'm finished, but all of us are products of decisions, faith, and determination. With Christ, you are more than a conqueror. Speak it. Declare it. Say it when you get up in the morning. Say it when you go to bed at night. That with Christ, I am more than a conqueror.